What's up, Demanders? I didn't see you there. Sorry. I was too busy watching all these streams and downloads just roll in. You guys have been super supportive through this whole transition to be like someone with absolutely no listeners to someone who actually does have a fan base. So thank you guys so much for that. We are now on all streaming services. This does include Apple Podcasts. I know some of you have reached out and asked when I was going to be. It is now for this episode and all the episodes prior. This episode is number 25 with Mitchell Ulrich, your favorite 6'9 offensive tackle. Please take a listen. <laughs> Mitchell Ulrich, Big Mitch. I got two Ulrichs in this two days apart. Two days in a row, man. Two days in a row. But, I mean, they won't be posted. They'll be posted three days apart. But That's all right. But better marketing to record and release than to record and just release the same day, you know? I know, dude. It's, uh, that'd be so tough to try to record every single day and then release yeah. some of the stuff. I mean. Because you edit them a little bit, right? Um, I don't edit the sound very much. I just kind of make it so like it's – not that it's more clear vocals, but I just say I, I edit out the background noise. So I, I, I like okay. fine-tune it so there's like a setting on – because I just use it through like my – the settings I use for music producing. And I, one of them is called Four Vocals, and it just like tunes up the vocals, and it like takes down the background noise. And then I just try to clean up the audio a little bit, but that's it. Um, that's cool, yeah. And then videos, obviously, I've seen, I know you've seen the clips. I just, I just throw the logo in the bottom left corner. But as you saw, I'm changing the name. So. Yeah, what, do you, what have you decided you're going to change it to? Well, considering 500 people saw my story yesterday and 70% voted for Colin the Man's Answers, I'm going to go with Colin the Man's Answers. That's a pretty good one, yeah. It's I just because what the fuck is – I don't – I told – came me this yesterday but i was like i don't think i'm getting bigger like way faster than i thought i was going to and i don't think 33 percent of my name should be swearing words <laughs> so all right but i mean obviously all the listeners like people who are listening to this right now probably know you or know me yeah. and yeah. but i'll give you a little introduction and you can just tell them who you are but this is big mitch i've been wanting him on for very long now since yeah, we, I've, i started this I know we've been trying to do it for a while, but we finally got it. Yeah. Um, plays offensive line, left tackle, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. For Pacific. And he is a history major. And me and him, I was just telling Bobby this yesterday, me and you have, they're not like heated. I told Bobby, they're not violent debates. We have very good disagreements. We could get them there though. If yeah. You want. You could get yeah. Them there. <laughs> um, but I feel like most of the things we disagree on, though, I think we actually agree on the majority of it. Uh, like the outcome of it, we just like disagree on how to get there, I think is the majority yeah. of our disagreements. I mean, in reality, like everybody's goal, right, like politically is to try to make the country better mm-hmm. but, or make the world better. But I mean, your outcome is always different than yeah. you know, the person next to you and stuff. So. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't say you're like a collectivist or like you have collectivism at the ho- uh, at the helm. I would just say that I am super individual- individualistic and I would say you're less than I am. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a, a huge collectivist because I do love individuality stuff and I think mm-hmm. that's like the biggest benefits of the United States. But uh, yeah, I mean, collectivism definitely has its merits. And yeah. um, I think like with... Uh, individual spirits with like a collectivist mindset for making things better is a, is a good thing. Like I, I know when you talked to Hunter, you were talking about your, uh, your experiences in, um, uh, class was it not Morris, this who, who teaches the socialism class again? Oh, Seward. 
Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. So your experience with him and how your mindset about like collectivism and socialism has changed a ton. Yeah, it definitely has. Just from learning about it and stuff. And I think that was me too. Like I was a, I was like a stout capitalist in high school and you know, I was like, if, you know, if you don't succeed, it's your own fault and stuff. And then I realized that there's some, there's some yeah. pretty significant problems in, in our system. Like yeah. it's not shitty, but like, mm. I mean, yeah, there are problems. There's a, I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the past year, just reading and everything is that there's two, two major things. One is like human systems are bound to be flawed no matter what they are. Um, whether they're, dominated by a free market or an invisible hand or they're being kicked by an invisible foot you know or they're um governmentally centrally planned you could range from stalin and mao to like the founders and i mean it's way different like jeff bezos and bill gates you know Mm because i would say they have vast power political power but um and then the second thing is that uh when this is mainly pertaining to Marx and I would like to talk to you about Marx in the future. Like, I mean today, but like later in this conversation, but I think the biggest thing with him is I just wrote a, my final paper actually on this is that you can attribute like the Soviet union and the, uh, the can't remember what it's called. Holo, the genocide in Ukraine. Um, to you can attribute those to Marx, but the writings of the Marx ideology, but you can also attribute to Bernsteiny, Bernsteinism and, um, and uh, like Sweden, social democracy. You can also attribute that to Marx. And so, but the, my main thesis was that the problem is when you think of anything, let alone a political ideology as a science, like as a, as a truth, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's really easy to become intolerant to someone if you think you're right you know and i think that's a big thing we're seeing today in modern politics especially in american politics i think we can have a good discussion about this right now um especially with i mean i mean you see it on both ends like you can see it with the proud boys and them and you can also see with like aoc and people who are in the house you know from the far left i think both sides think they're so right that they become so intolerant to the other side you know what do you think about that no, I, I think politics is a lot more fluid than we give it, you know, like than we give it credit for. Um, you think about like, we, you just talked about like Sweden and Scandinavian social democracy and stuff. And I would say I'm a social Democrat, but um, anyway, like that is just as socialist as it is capitalist. Do you know what I mean? So you can, everybody talks about those as being like the socialist utopias for what the United States could be, which I think like adopting those policies is good but they still like revolve under a capitalist system. You know, they still, they're still like really open to free trade. I mean, they have wages, they have, things are not inherently owned by the workers. You know what I mean? It's still like the government does own a lot of it, but there's still private corporations and and such. So like they were still revolve under a capitalist market. So, I mean, it's like, even the Soviet union, that was not, that was not like true communism. You know, it was like a dictatorship with, that was guys, you know, it was like, it was pretty much a fascist dictatorship. I mean, like when Stalin was ruling, there was no, I mean, it didn't, it didn't run like how Marx wrote it to run, you know, it was, it was just like his ideas and the people around him and stuff. I don't know. It was. Yeah. Um, so a big problem that you see with the Soviet union is okay. So actually Seward brought this up. So you could say if you, if you, if you're going to give, Marx the credit for the Soviet Union like if you're going to say Marx was 
the the reason that the Soviet Union happened. Then you have to say like, um, he was like, are you going to say then that Jesus is the cause of his own crucifixion almost to an extent, you know, it's yeah. like, you, and, and my whole thing is that it's really easy to, um, it's really easy to like credit former, former thinkers with latter actions, you know? Um, so like, it's really easy to say that, okay, the founders wrote this constitution and then we passed this because of them, you know? Um, but like my whole understanding is that's kind of what education is. You know, we learn from our history. Um, I think the problem is when you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know what I mean? Is when you throw out the, I was telling, I forget who I was saying this to, uh, but I was telling, I think it was Bobby, but I was saying that like, when you, it, like this even, this is how I even think about like religion, like Christianity, especially uh, when you get rid of like doctrines that have existed through tradition. Cause this is with the conservative in me. This is like the traditional conservative in me is that when you tradition has value. Now, if some of that tradition is rooted in slavery, we can have a conversation, you know, or homophobia or trans, whatever, you know, if there's, if there's, um, if tradition we have standing is debt, let's talk about the United States is rooted in slavery or, or um, racism. We can have a talk, discussion about, getting rid of those plans but when there's tradition like the ones we have set forth that come from john locke or the english parliament i don't know if the english parliament cr was created before after the before before okay um it, but if we like if we you, you can't throw that all that out like everyone's like oh let's like there's a there's a really big movement like neo-marxist movement that says we should throw it out and create a new one and i don't really agree with that because i think there's a lot of things we i'm more i would say i'm a reformist to an extent, I think the best way to change things is through long provisions. But then you start talking about, well, the only way we've been doing that is the Supreme Court. And it, it gets, you know, it gets in this wishy-washy. But I do not – this is the traditional conservative in me that thinks that, you know, longstanding tradition has some value, you know? No, I 100% agree with that. I, I mean, I think, like, looking at, at, the, at the past is, is extremely crucial in changing the future. I mean, that's obviously, like, being a – history major and you know studying history and stuff like you realize how influential the past is on the future and and how it is on the present in in, in the same sense so um like completely just you know trying to throw those ideas of traditionalism out i think are really wrong because you can learn a lot from the past mistakes and from the past successes and i think just like saying no we don't want to listen to that is completely wrong but in the same sense like um a lot of like modern progressives and a lot of modern conservatives, like we're, we have this debate about the statues and stuff and, and like in the United Kingdom, they're having all these discussions about the, the positives and the negatives of colonialism and of their colonialist past. And it's really hard to, to, to say whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, you know, it was so fluid and there's a lot of conservatives in like uh, in the United Kingdom who want to stop teaching about the negatives of colonialism. And I think that's completely wrong. I think it's something that happened and you need to discuss the good and the bad about it. Just like we talk about slavery in the United States in, in class, you know, in classes we learn that, you know, slavery was bad and we watch roots and all these things. And then we discuss like the triangular trade and it just, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't like, I don't know if you feel the same way, like with, with the way that you were educated about slavery, but it just like never really, I've never really felt educated on it. I felt like I was just told like the, the, the root top things and like, oh, it's bad rather than, 
no, this is like the the effects that it has today. Like thing, these things are still being like, I mean, even like the GI Bill, the GI Bill from World War, right after World War II, it was not given to African-American. GI Bill, I need you to uh, explain oh, okay. what that is. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, the GI Bill was the bill that, um, I, think, I think it was FDR. I think it was FDR. Um, he implemented, so soldiers would go to World War II. So after they left World War II, they were given a bunch of money to like start their lives. And that was kind of like what kickstarted the American middle class. So um, I, I don't know exactly how much money it, they were given, but like they used it to, to buy homes, educate themselves. And because of this, it kickstarted like people living in houses all across the country. And like the 1950s and 60s, you know, you see the, the suburban middle class. And I mean, this is all like the basis for redlining and everything too. Like, but that's, I mean, that, this, this is all like a, uh, a consequence of slavery and of like racist policies in the United States. And cause I mean, slavery didn't start initially as like a racist idea. It was about money, you know, and it just grew to become racist because it was easier to, to make people subservient to you who, you know, you thought were already inferior. So. Yeah. There's two things in there that you said that I, that brings brings that comes to my mind when when not when you say things like this like one is like there are repercussions of slavery or of anything and i think what we're seeing right now is that people are really mad about uh, i actually read i think i got this from brett weinstein on a joe rogan podcast he was basically saying that you know well people people don't really know what they're mad at right now what they're 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 saying what they're mad at but they're mad, really mad about the fact that we have this long-standing tradition that's really good at at um, continuing patterns and the pattern in American just so happens to be socioeconomic disparities. Um, and so the problem that you see is like, it is, it is more um, disproportionately um, African-Americans and uh, other minority groups, but especially with like the DACA, so like the descendants of slavery, you know, the money paying people because they're descendants of slavery, that gets wishy-washy because like by, by now we're seven to 10 generations from like slaves. So it's like who pays for that, you know, and then who gets that? Well, and it's, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it gets. I, I understand what you're saying. Like it is obviously slavery was outlawed in what, 1865. Is that when the civil war? I think 1865. I think yeah, it finally ended around there. So, but I mean, Jim Crow, what 19 late 1960s, and that's like my grandma was in college. You know, like somebody who I know, and obviously my grandma wasn't inherently affected by Jim Crow, but that is a that is a repercussion of slavery and like the how the South really didn't become that much better after World War II. You know, there wasn't enough reform. There wasn't enough like protection of African-American rights. So that, that's all like inherent alongside of slavery. And it's, it's all a repercussion. So, I mean, and grandparents, okay, well, back, I guess back to what I was saying about the GI Bill. When, when the GI Bill, it wasn't given to African-Americans or at least not, the same amount of money was not given to blacks as it was to whites or other minorities. And so whites were buying these nice suburban homes and stuff. And like my grandparents, they bought a house in the 1960s for like $650 or whatever, however much, you know what I mean? Like houses were way cheaper back then. And all they did was appreciate in value. And that's like the biggest thing that when they die, 
their inheritance to me will be is their house. You know, like I can sell that because they live in San Jose, which San Jose for people who don't know is like houses are in the millions right now. It's like a two bedroom, two bathroom house. You can sell for like $1.4 million. Like it's insane. That's like incredible amounts of money for what they bought it for. Like they didn't, I don't even think they spent a thousand dollars on it. Yeah. It's, like, I, it's that, it's that a uh, Silicon Valley boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Keep going. yeah. That's crazy. So that kind of money is not generational for African-Americans in the same way that it is for whites, because we had the chance to, even though in, let's say even in the 1960s, if everything just became like perfectly equal, there was no more racism that that's still like a 25 year, like bounce that and money that they didn't, that they don't have that a lot of white people do that, especially that have been here for a, a long time. It's just, it's not there. And then you combine that with things like redlining and I mean, like housing inequality is hugely important to economic inequality. Yeah. yeah uh, going back to what you said about Stalin, though, I want to have, because I disagree with you when you, that you said that Stalin, I don't know if you said Stalin was kind of an anomaly. It wasn't Marxist. I actually disagree. I think Stalin was, uh, the ideas came from the Marxist doctrine. Because if you, if you yeah. read, if you read like some of the Marx writing, he does split, like, he does implicitly talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat, though he does say it will wither away and be more of like an anarchic stateless society after they, they get through to people. But there is this inherently violent intoleration to the side that they will get, they like they, especially Lenin learned um, and then Marx, they have, they have implicit in their writings that if they don't, if people don't agree with them, they're very much okay with getting rid of them. You know what I mean? So I don't think, so I don't think it's fair to not say, give Marx some of his, some of the credit for the Pol Pot or, or Stalin or even Mao to an extent. But what I do think is that it is individuals who like, individuals create things from other people you know they interpret their own way if they're if they're not just plagiarists you know they think for themselves and then they create something out of an idea so Mm -hmm. now that goes for evil and bad hitler did the same thing hitler was very very influenced through nietzsche but nietzsche wasn't a nazi you know um i can't remember who told me that but i was like we had a i think it was on the podcast we were talking about nietzsche and how nietzsche had a really Maybe it was in class. We were talking about how Nietzsche was like actually found as like, oh, it was Seward. But he was basically saying that Nietzsche was like, it was weird for like a while. They kind of like attributed him to the Nazis and stuff, but he wasn't a Nazi. They just, he was influenced Hitler. And so like, you, are you going to say that Nietzsche is, is why Hitler happened? No, you're going to say Hitler right. is. And also here's the thing that blows my mind and you being a history major, you might like have shed some light on this or like maybe you, you share the same the same, um, I don't know, same uh, viewpoints. But I think it's in, insane how, like, in history, we learn all about the Holocaust and, and Adolf Hitler, but we learn nothing about the Soviet Union and communism and Stalin, and even Mao, to an extent. We don't learn anything about because It's I, like the I, history, history of the Soviet Union starts after World War II, and, like, once the United States become enemies with yeah. them. You know I mean? Like, when, yeah. when the Cold War starts is when we start learning about them. But they... Like we don't learn anything. I didn't know who Vladimir Lenin was until freshman year of college. Now yeah. you might, yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I knew who everyone knows who Stalin is. At least most of them should hear the name and know he was a bad guy, but don't really know that he was just as bad as or worse than Hitler. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we'll attribute him. But it's also, it's back to this idea that um, it's really easy to. I think it's really easy to point out 
the evils on the right and it's less it's less easy to point out the evils on the left you know what i mean we know when the this is a jordan peterson argument you know when the right goes too far because they're like nazis and they're like oh i white supremacy and you're like yep and you just ostracize them from society but we don't really have that line for the left yeah i mean it's hard it's really difficult to to see that because like a lot when a lot of leftist ideologies become radical, they basically become like fascist dictatorships. Like I don't consider Stalin a communist leader. I consider him a like a, a dictator. He was a he was definitely a totalitarian dictator for sure. And like, yes, I mean, with, I mean with Marx, it it's really hard to to attribute him. Just like you're talking with Nietzsche, I mean, you can't just like say because somebody wrote this that they knew it was going to turn into this and i mean marx what did he die in like 1880 or something like 1885 what like 30 years before the the soviet union even was like an idea really i mean it before it even happened before the russian revolution so i mean it's hard to attribute that and i mean the founding fathers never knew what would happen today you know if they came back now they would i can guarantee you they would change things about the constitution like the smartest ones of them and so it's hard to to attribute somebody who lived years and years before to to attribute them with with what hap- what's happening now or what's happening you know what would have happened I guess concurrently with the Soviet Union. So I mean, blaming things on Marx and I mean, I can guarantee you he would have said like Stalin, Pol Pot. I mean, even Mao in some ways. I mean, yeah, Mao in some ways he would have just been wrong. He would have thought it was wrong. And because I think he, the way that he just, or the way that I always took um, Marx's writing, I guess, was that uh, communism is not like the solution. It's the, or I guess it is the solution. It's not like the the way to get there though. I mean, revolution is going to be the way to get there. So it is like inherently violent to get to the point of communism, but communism is like the end goal. Like that's what we're trying to get to. That's, I mean, that's eventually what's going to happen. I think like Star Trek, like the world of Star Trek, I don't know how much you know about that. But like that world is a communist world, right? Like they don't really have. Oh, you. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a communist world, right? Like they pretty much live in a. At least Earth is like it's a. I don't know. It's like a utopia, right? It's they don't really have money. They don't have to work. Things work for them. So it's just it's different. I mean, and I think that's that's like pretty much that was Marx's like end goal was that eventually the the world is going to surpass the need for capitalism because capitalism has its, its faults and communism, like in it as an idea, it would work perfectly, but in the real world, it's, it's a lot harder. Um, I think we disagree slightly on this too, because I don't think, I don't think I would call Marx a utopian communist. Like I think you, th- what you're saying, because I would call like Robert Owen or, yeah, uh, B.F. Skinner, they're utopian socialists. But so, Karl Marx but, knew the but, knew knew that violence and revolution, and he just thought com- communism was the end goal. But he knew that there was going to have to be a dictatorship um, through intoleration. You know, he knew yeah, that. Yes. Okay, I'll give you that. Yes, but I think what the idea be- the inherent idea of communism is that it is going to be a utopia eventually. Not that it is like the act of getting to that utopia is going to be utopia, but like it is going to have to be violent. And I think, so I think we agree in that sense, but I think I worded it weird and I think I am still wording it weird, but I think. What was that? I was just going to say, it's a hard thing to, 
there's it's a hard i once we start talking about these um these levels of almost economic systems uh it's hard to talk about them because a lot of them don't exist yeah you know yeah i mean we don't really have a example of communism in our society that the only example we have is see i think that's a thing too i think communism we have a definition for communism now but socialism has a vast array of like it's like a ruler almost you know um it can you can go anywhere on that ruler and be a different type of socialism because it's it's the people who create it is because you would you would say uh, canada the scandinavian countries are the most socialist today to an extent and it's mainly because of three different things um universal health care um some sort of um benefit if you're unemployed but looking for work and then worker owned companies so you would say those three things are what we consider socialist today's time which aren't very radical and i think that's kind of what bernie sanders is and again part of the reason bernie sanders could never win is because he called himself a democratic socialist if he would have just said i'm a social democrat i am a democrat i am not in favor of getting rid of the free market i'm in favor of people having more than people having nothing he didn't even talk about getting rid of billionaires or anything. He, what he was saying wasn't that radical for today's time. You know? it's, so, it, was, it was like moderate European politics. That's what I'm saying. The problem is you don't have people like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos in European, in Europe. You have, now you have like the Rockefellers and people that we don't really talk about who are like really rich, you know, uh, Rothschilds especially. Um, those guys, I think those, the reason that we think that they're really rich is because they're more politically active. Yeah. There's like the new rich of like tech billionaires and stuff where you talk about like Elon Musk and I mean, and Jeff Bezos and stuff. And like those guys, they've gotten rich recently. So they don't have like the old connected money that those guys do. So I think that's just the difference. But yes, even though they are richer, like power, power wise. No, they don't even compare. What do you think? Because I would, here's the thing about i would say i lean left on most political things like um especially when it comes to like freedom and and liberty and people being their moans and uh women's right to um their bodies and and things like that i would say i lean left obviously i have some conservative traditional things but what do you think about this new age social media censorship that's going on right now like if they're on trial on this have you seen them do you know what i'm talking about yeah with uh Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Because they've been found uh, or trying to be found uh, limiting the the conservative conservatives on their platform. And I would say that you are in favor of the first amendment. That's why you're here right now. So what do you, what do you think about this, this power that the social media companies have and they typically all leaning left, you know? Yeah. Um, See, see, when you put your information or when you text or any, or not text, when you uh, tweet or uh, put something out on Facebook, like that's not necessarily like the public forum that's still owned by a private corporation. So they have like their legal right to say whatever they want. There's a reason why like places like 4chan and like, other and was it 8chan and 9gag, whatever the conservative like places are. I mean like radical conservatism and radical like, right-wing i wouldn't even say conservatism radical radical right-wing ideas are a lot more dangerous and people are a lot more afraid of because we have examples of in the past just like you were talking earlier it's easier to cite or like to see like radical right-wing because of the nazis and like that is the most recent example of crazy ideology that we've seen and it was 
far right as it gets or not not even as far right as it gets it's pretty far right but it's not even as far right as it gets but so like seeing those things and that's why people are afraid is like we don't want to see more nazis you know so people are going super far like we just got to shove all that out and make sure it doesn't happen like again that way these ideas don't even spark up and germany did this after world war ii uh let's see probably in the 80s after or in the 90s after reunification i think like they don't allow you to say hitler anymore you get fine if you say the word like hitler or nazi and you can't have um like you can't have a swastika and if you have a swastika like that's like a a jailable offense or something like it's, it's not good but they've been having like an increase in far-right terrorism because of it because it's like people that feel like their opinions aren't being heard so they've resorted to terrorism so I don't know. I mean, I don't know the right way to do it. That's something I don't like free speech is, is dangerous inherently, you know, like people are going to come up with radical ideas once they have free speech and people will listen to them. But if you censor it in the same way, like people are just going to find other ways to talk about it and it's never going to ever go away. So I don't know if there's a solution to it. I, I think free speech is great. I mean, I love free speech, but I also just, I don't think that, uh, sorry, there's a car alarm going off. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that censoring is the right way to go, but I I don't know. Do you have any, do you, have you ever thought of like a solution to that? I, I don't know. I don't think about it that often, I guess, but I have seen, I have seen all the stuff on Twitter and I, and I notice how left Twitter is and Facebook. I don't notice as much because I'm kind of from a conservative town. So all I see on Facebook is really conservative thoughts. So, um, but I definitely notice them on Twitter more. And um, I like hearing differing opinions, but uh, I also understand people's fears about it. So, but I don't know a solution. So I think it all, it's all, the biggest thing is we've been the good guys, you know, against other countries. Like United States has been the powerhouse, you know, we were, how we have fought for good, you know, and we've had, now we have had vast problems in our own country, you know, racism and things like that, but we've always fought for the good, you know, we've always fought against evil access powers, everything that's kind of been our ending. And right now I think the biggest thing is our market decides what other companies set their prices for and everything, you know, mm-hmm. the market that yeah, it United all comes money. It all comes yeah. money. so our economy and our free market and wall street and everything, it basically sets it, it lets Sweden have worker-owned companies. It lets socialist countries have worker-owned companies because we basically, not that we fund it, but our economy is what holds the world together. Um, and I think the problem is if we start limiting that and we start moving, this is my, a big thing that I have against democratic socialism in this country is I'm, you know, it sounds good on paper, but I feel like if we start moving that way and we start limiting the money that we are funneling through, like limiting the billionaires, um, what they're allowed to do and what their money through their companies, you know, cause they are vastly innovative. Like Elon Musk is not, not innovative. You know, he's working on everything every day, 80 yeah. hours a week. Um, I think it lets China control the market and China's evil. You know, China is evil. China is still putting, shaving people's heads and putting them on, putting them on trains and putting them in prisons. What are they called? They call them they put they call, put Muslims in uh, this prison, which is basically a concentration camp, and they call it it's like consciousness the, training or something. Yeah, the, the movers. Or, I, yeah. I, I can't remember the name. And like, if we let China control it, because China does not have freedom of speech. 
they have no freedom of speech. And I think a big problem is a lot of our markets are catering more and more to China, like the NBA. You see, like the M- there's so many no, markets that no, are catering to China. Holloway, Hol- um, holiday, um, Hollywood is, yeah, Hollywood can and cannot put things in their movies anymore because of China. And I think that that's a problem because China does not have a freedom of speech problem, and we have been known to let people experience their ideologies. And I think it's we're getting to this point where like the right is a lot of the right who are like really rich and like, look, we're doing like Elon Musk, like we're doing the right things where I'm trying to help humanity here. You guys are trying to limit my money and you're going to let China write the rules. And I think if China writes the rules, the world's in for a hell, you know? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot in there. Um, yeah. First, uh, like I think uh, we should never complain about uh, like, I guess, restrictions on billionaires. I think we always need to restrict the people with money, no matter what, because uh, Roosevelt, um, Theodore Roosevelt in the early 1900s with his like breaking up the trusts and those kinds of things, like that is a, that was hugely important in the, in the growth of the United States because companies were making a lot of money, yes, but they were also not doing it for the betterment of society. They were just doing it to make money. And the Polish workers that were working in the meat factory and, um, and all the immigrant workers in the meat factories in Chicago and stuff, and they would like fall in these vats of meat where they're like twisting the meat and then they would just can it and then not even worry about it and just go find somebody else because they're paying them like 25 cents a day. Like that is, that is something that needs to be restricted. And that's the socialist side of our capitalist market. You know what I mean? When the government comes in and protects workers before they protect profits. And I don't think we we're doing that as much as we should. <clears throat> but I also think that, um, that, I mean, China is just, it's like, a, it is a business, you know, like that's how they're running their country. It's workers rights don't matter as much as making a profit. And with, uh, with Trump, his thing was putting America first and like, you know, and like ideal wise, I was like, okay, that's, I guess that's cool. When I was like 16, when I, I think he was 16 when I ran two thousand yeah, 2016, I was like, all right, that's cool. Like, yeah, I think America should be first and everything, you know, I think we should make America great. And then I've started to realize that him doing this, like he's pulled that money that you're talking about, that money that's circulating in these markets in Europe and in South America. And we never really put that much money into Africa, but now like Africa is becoming extremely important because the countries are starting to, to form formulate. I think there's a few countries that are even like their economies and their GDPs are rising at ridiculous rates which is good, but a lot of it is investment from China and China is becoming like the new main investor in Europe and they're becoming the shipping partners and they're shipping all their stuff into Europe because the United States decided that we need to focus on ourselves. Like we took ourselves out of NAFTA. We took ourselves out of the South Asian agreement and all of this is just left a power vacuum and China has just said, okay, we'll be the new investor because the United States is trying to focus on themselves now even though what made us great before was that we had so many allies. We were, we were beloved around beloved. I mean, beloved is a relative term, I guess, but like people knew us around the world and we were well-respected, but now it's China's coming in and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Whereas the United States, we're so volatile now because everybody's like with Trump, like we're going to get this America first. We're not going to help our allies nearly as much as we would with the, with like Biden. And now we're getting Biden who is like all about foreign policy and like, he's all about like keeping a lot of allies. That's, that's his for, whole foreign policy idea is like the more allies we have, the better off we're going to be. So it's just, America is so volatile. I think people are starting, like a lot of countries are starting to realize that. And um, 
we can't just focus on ourselves if we're going to be the world power. We have to focus on helping everybody else. And if we invest our money out, we will get money back. And like, that's the hard thing. It's the same with our country. Like investing in the people is what makes money. It's not investing in these corporations. Like that does make you, it gives you a higher GDP, but your country is not going to be like stronger, healthier, happier. Like all the metrics that we should care about, those things are not going to increase by not investing into your, just like letting the companies roam free, like investing money into people and protecting individuality. And but like protecting individual individuality is almost a collective idea. You know what I mean? Like in a weird way. Do you understand? Okay. So what I'm, what I mean by that is like, um, to protect individuality, like we use unions, right? Like, so that way people are protected. So they have the ability to go do what they want. Like you, everybody wants to be in a union, right? Like everybody now wants to be in a union. Like my dad, he's a fireman and he's in a fireman union. And he says it's like the greatest thing in the world, but that's like a socialist idea. And that's how, but that's how individuals make money. That's how they're able to renegotiate their contracts and stuff. So like, I don't know if that made sense, but it did, it did. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just, but I think the, I think with Trump's America, the, my biggest problem with Trump is, I mean, he's an idiot in a lot of ways, I think, but also like foreign policy wise, he's just opened the door for China to come in and invest in all these countries that we could have invested in. And we've could have become like a world leader for years to come and become the allies of these people. But he's shown that we're too volatile and that we're not willing to put our money where our mouth is the same way that China is. So I think what Trump was, Trump did two things that wasn't necessarily the result of him doing things, but I think they were positive. Um, I think one was he showed us that there is a definitely a loophole and a hole in our political system and that there are problems, not just with him, just just in politics, there are problems. And two is he is the ultimate capitalist. He, that, like, that was his life. He was the capitalist and he showed people what they hate the most. And so what I mean by that is we used to have this idea that the American dream is you go, you get the nuclear family, you work hard and you make a living and you're successful. Yes. That it, it turned into 400 to one, basically CEO making 400 to the worker making one, you know? And now I don't think that's, that's good. Um, what it does do is it creates vast innovation and it creates harmful, I wouldn't say harmful because the work environments are vastly better than they were 60 years ago, but, or even a hundred years ago. But I would say that they, these guys are crazy. They're, they're hyper conscientious and they work 80 hours a week and they think their workers can do that. And not everyone is Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, you know, not everyone is as hyperactive as them. So it creates, and they don't want to pay anything for it, but they want, it creates innovation. But the problem is if you create a product in American society today, you're, you haven't solved anything. You actually, your life's harder now because now chances are someone's making it right after you make it, you know, someone's making an even better version and chances are you're going to sell it for a million, two million to a company, you know? I mean, the success story of American companies now is not, it's not like becoming the next Boeing or something, the next innovator. It's being bought by somebody like Boeing or somebody like Apple, you know, like all you're trying to do is create a product that they're going to like enough that they'll buy you out and then you make money. Modern it's, not, it's not about innovation anymore. It's, a, it's about, I mean, it is about innovating, but it's mm-hmm. not about like innovating and growing. It's about innovating and being sold. So. We have set up vast. This is the, this is the, we've done this in every single aspect, even in politics, we set up boundaries to stop limit the one from taking all the power, but not the few. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, 
they they say at first they were like they basically the founders were like James Madison and Thomas they're all afraid of King George so they're like president can't have any powers then the states started having all the power and then now it's the Supreme Court and then basically led to the Supreme Court having all the important decisions since Brown v. Board and then you get in the in the company side they limit monopolies and they let all these oligopolies exist where like I think Sprint and T-Mobile just merged right yeah. That's, I mean, that's the Verizon, new monopoly. It's the new monopoly. It's hidden monopolies, you know? I mean, it is. It's the few. If you look at, like, I mean, if you look at, like, beer companies, I saw this chart. Like, I think, like, seltzers. Yeah, same thing. But it's like Anheuser Busch or whatever. They own, like, like 84 different beers, like, beer types that are all, like, big name ones. I mean, they own, like, Keystone, or I don't know if it's Keystone, but like, you know what I mean? I think yeah. Keystone scores, but it anyway, like they'll just rebrand their name. So it doesn't look like people, they have a monopoly, yeah. but in reality, all of it is just one large parent company. Same with Disney. It's like that in the entertainment industry. It's just, it's all over. I mean, it's, it's just, there's just hidden monopolies. And I think like somebody who's innovative and smart knows these things, but we don't. We haven't had like a, a leader, I think, yet that's re- willing to to break up the these new new types of monopolies the same way that that Teddy Roosevelt was in Yay. the 1900s. You know, willing to stand up for the little guy. Or, but I like to and I think that stifles growth. That stifles growth is monopolies, and we have them. Yeah, well, we do. We do, and it's it's because the. Like you said, the top companies fight for everything. I think the top five companies own everything, right? I think Disney owns Fox now. Like what? Um, yeah. ESPN. And- yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. This is good. This is exactly what I wanted out of this conversation, Rich. Um, here, I have some questions with, for history because I'm not really a history buff. I mean, I would say like I, I – learn history because you have to read history to know politics and stuff like that but what is something that you think is insane or like just really crazy that most people don't know you know that you should know or maybe you shouldn't know but you do know like you know like what is something that you've learned whether it's just in a book or actually we're taught in one of your college classes that you think the modern american should know or just the modern person should know but they don't besides like that's hard um just think for a second Well, I'll tell you a cool story, I guess, while I'm thinking a little bit. Um, so there was, a, there was a book, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, it was a book about a, like a Nazi pilot in North Africa. I was reading it, and um, they, uh, um, sorry, I'm trying to think at the same time. Um, okay, so he, uh, he was, uh, so this guy, he was a, he was a, a pilot, and then um, he, he fought for the Nazis, and then he moved to uh, North Africa. They stationed him in North Africa. So he met this pilot who had been flying around Europe for, for years and years. And um, I think this was like 1943, 1944. So the war had been going on for a little while now, and obviously the, the war in Africa was, was getting going. So um, he's talking to this guy, and this guy tells him a story about like chivalry in the air. And I thought this was really interesting because, you know, you think of World War II, you just think of brutality and the Holocaust and all these things. And this guy was talking about, he was flying in Northern France and um, there was a plane that, or I guess this is like the story of the book, I guess. Not, this isn't the story from the guy he was talking to. This is the story of the book. I'm sorry, I got that confused. And um, 
So he was in North Africa, or he was in Northern France and he was doing like these patrolling missions. And like the whole idea was that, that you need to have chivalry against the people you fight for fight against, because we have like a commonality, you know, and people don't necessarily want to go kill each other, but that's just the nature of war. So he's in, he's doing this patrol mission and um, this, he sees a British bomber that had actually just gone and bombed like a uh, West German city. And this bomber was flying back and um, he sees it and he sees it in the air and he's like trying to tell the guy to land. It's, it's clearly in bad shape. It's not shooting at him. It's just two pilots and the thing is all battered and he's flying back trying to get it over the English channel. And he's like trying to tell him to land it. He's like pointing, go down, go down, go down. And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to. So he gets behind it and he's like thinking about it. Okay, I'm going to go shoot this thing down. And he's ready to shoot it down. And then he remembers like these people, these are like people in this. And like, we need to remember that, there's humanity amongst each of us, you know, like these people have families, they, they want to go home. That's all he's trying to do is get home. So he's like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to help him in. And then he basically guides him through like German airspace and takes him back over the British the English channel. And this dude lands and uh, he lands safely. And um, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a cool story, but yeah. So later on they, uh, the guy, the English guy wants to find the German dude. So he puts these newspaper ads, this is like in the seventies. He puts these newspaper like articles out in West Germany and he's trying to find this dude. And he's like asking all these questions and he's like, were you in this plane? Cause you remember the, the plane type and stuff. And uh, were you flying in North Africa at this time? Cause there wasn't that many planes really in world war two. Like there was a lot, but enough that you could be able to track down somebody. So somebody who knew the guy found the, the, the British dude and um, he told him, oh, this guy moved to Canada. So they ended up meeting like 40, 30 years later, 40 years later. And uh, the guy like thanked him and then they like became best of friends until they died. I just thought that was kind of a cool story about humanity and stuff, but being nice. This is a cool you. story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Reminds shit, me I, of, have you seen, uh, have, you ever, have you seen the movie 1917? Yeah. That's how great is that movie? That was fantastic. Yeah, that's a fa that's probably one of my favorite movies of like the last ten years that I've seen. I mean, obviously, in Shutter Island's up there, oh, Inception's yeah. up there, but that movie, I'd love that. It's like all one scene. It's two scenes because he gets knocked out in that one scene. Yeah. That is a great movie. The, everything about it is 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 good, and like the fact that he they like try to help that guy and he killed yeah, him. And he ends up killing uh, his friend. Yeah, and he just, just yeah. keeps it going. He didn't even want to go, and he just keeps it going. That's a great movie. If you guys I, shout well, out, if anyone has, is that's listening to this podcast at this point right now has not seen the movie Nineteen Seventeen, I I don't know if Mitch does, but I highly recommend that movie. I do too. Yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of great war movies. What. Um, Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. That's the classic D-Day scene. Uh, Black Hawk Down. That's a great one. Of course. I just, oh, um, one of my favorite is obviously Lone Survivor. Yeah. That's a great movie. I read the book. Um, you didn't see the movie? I have not seen the movie. because it's, it's Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg right? Yeah. He kills it, honestly. I read the book. I actually met the guy, too. He, uh, he was at like a VFW pretty near me, and then he talked about the book for a little bit. Have you always been tall? Like, or did you hit a growth spurt? Like, were you always like the tallest one in your classes? Or did you yeah. hit a growth spurt? Yeah. 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 I'm a, I've always been pretty tall. Um, How tall are you? 6'8", 6'9"? I'm 6'9 right now, yeah. What are you saying yeah. then? There was a time when I was younger where I wasn't so tall, but yeah. What was that like? What is it like growing up taller than everybody? 
and bigger. So, you're, you're taller and bigger than everybody. Like you're not just yeah. tall. You do have a lot of back problems. Back and knee, dude. Those things are brutal. Yeah. Brutal. I can't imagine what it's like to fucking lift at your height. Like squat especially. Yeah. I mean, I think like proportionally, I'm not that different. So maybe it's not that bad. But I mean, just, bro, you're like, obviously people lift more than I do just because. You're like, so tall. I don't know, like what Braden Baker, you know, he doesn't go down very far. He just Yeah. But that's like that's the whole thing about lifting. It's very, it's very, um, it's very uh, pro- to your proportion. Because like my friend who's very skinny, he's like six five though. Dude, he punches. If he punches you, it hurts so bad. Because he's so powerful. Because he, but he's so tall. Really? Yeah. It, height. I mean, you play tackle. That's mm-hmm. left tackle too. That's like that's like the blindside position, right? Yeah, Michael or most quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, obviously having Kenyon being able to run is probably awesome. Yeah, that's the only reason I was successful, bro. <laughs> that dude stepped <laughs> up in the pocket really well. I mean, I, there was a lot. I was going up against some pretty good guys, like I'll admit, but I was I struggled a lot, like at certain times last year. And then having Kenyon being able to escape. That was like the only thing. What is it like playing? Because JT, I feel like is like the quarterback. Like he's like he is what look. He looks like a quarterback. He's traditional yeah. and everything. And I feel like he. I mean, he doesn't yell a lot, but I feel like he's like a leader. And then you go to like Kenyon, who's like this new age quarterback who's very level headed. Like, what is it like going from going from like a traditional quarterback? I mean, you even you had it to an extent a little bit with Nick, but to like mm-hmm. someone who's just the exact opposite of. Like what you're used to, I guess. Well, what was what was your quarterback like in high school? Did he run? Yeah, my quarter. No, my quarterback in high school was uh, he was a very like JT esque, like Tom Brady style quarterback. You know, like the traditional good good throwing. Yeah. You know, not necessarily super mobile, but yeah. So I mean, I was kind of used to that, but I mean, I felt bad. I I had to play my freshman year, and um, I did not. I was not very good my freshman year. I had to play guard because a uh, kick got hurt. So I kind of I feel like I ruined um, JT's. You know, wasn't it you and Kami? It came or they moved Kami because uh, Zach Mason got hurt, so they had to put Kami at center, and then they moved him to guard, and then they put Isaac at center because. Um, oh, I remember that. He got hurt. Or, I don't know. There was drama with Steve and Zane and all that and Falcon, but so it was three freshmen in the interior, and then Nolan, who was like probably an all-american tackle at the time but he didn't get the stuff he deserved because we were pretty bad and then um rj who rj is just like crazy athletic i think we had so, the most like, blocked in- kicks against us too didn't we wait say that some more time i said i think we i think we had like bobby had like the most blocked kicks and then we also oh, yeah. had like the most blocked kicks like against us yeah i don't remember us getting that block i mean we probably lost a lot of block i kicks think we got one blocked maybe. every single game at least no, I, but I remember Bobby. That's what I remember the most is that Bobby would just like, he and Tui would block a kick every single game, bro. bro I think that's so funny. History. Yeah, no, I think for sure. I don't know how that happened. It, nah, they just, their guards just let go. I, dude, trying to hold on against those two. Like I used to go against Bobby in one-on-ones in practice. That's why you've gotten so much better though. He would tear me a new one every single, like physically, like I felt like I was like being molested, you know? <laughs> Every what single did, practice. When did you – so what is Adventures with Mitch? I know it's a page you're doing. What are you – Oh, what yeah. Is, what is this thing that you're doing and what, yeah. what is it? And oh. just give it a little rundown. Yeah, so it's just like – I don't know. The idea behind it is just like I'm trying to like force myself to, to go out more and do more things. And uh, 
not like it's an accountability thing, but like, it's just something for like me to I don't know, almost journal on, I guess. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like digitally journal, I guess. So, so, so I have memories of, of these things when I'm older because um, the definitely with like COVID and not having sports really as an outlet to, to do things like your mental health definitely takes a toll. And I know a lot of people have kind of felt that. So I've been trying like all kinds of different things. Like I'm trying to hike more. I mean, I'm trying to exercise more like other than just lifting and football stuff. Like I'm trying to run more on my own. Like I've even tried like meditation and that shit's kind of crazy. Um, I know a lot of people. Let's like, talk I, about I, that. Let's talk about meditation for a little bit. I, what, what is your experience with it? Um, so for me, I, I guess I had kind of a tough, like, I don't know when I, when I start September, like mid September. And I, I was having like kind of a tough few months, you know, cause it was just emotionally draining, mentally draining, all kinds of stuff. So I was like, I was ready for something new. So I was looking up all these new, all, all these like techniques and stuff to try to reduce anxiety and like be able to focus on things more. And everybody was talking about meditation. I was like, that's eh, stupid. Like, you know, I'm not like, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not even religious at all so i don't really have much of a spiritualist like mindset so, and i always thought of meditation as like this crazy i don't know buddhist idea where you'll start levitating and a third eye is going to grow and all that stuff and yeah exactly so i was like all right i mean i guess i'll try it first and like i mean i've been doing it for two months now i guess and i i don't really feel a huge huge difference like i notice small things which is good but like everybody says it's like a practice that you have to do for a long time to really get these benefits. But I've noticed like my mind is sharper and all this stuff. But I mean, the first few weeks I was doing it, I didn't notice anything. I, I just felt like I was just sitting there doing nothing for 10 minutes and it felt terrible. And I was like, I mean, I might as well just keep doing it because if I wasn't doing this, I would just be sitting on my phone and that's pretty much the exact same thing. And I don't know. It's, it, but it's, it's the, the idea is like trying to, to sit there and do nothing for 10 minutes and like be able to just be you in your mind, I guess, is like a really difficult thing that we don't do very often. And um, it, 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 I mean, you guess, I guess you never really realize how much stuff goes through your mind in a, at a moment to moment basis until you just sit there and just think because that's all you're able to do is just think. And you don't do that often enough where it's just, you're just focusing on your mind and once once you start doing that you realize like how much background noise <clears throat> how much background noise is actually there and anxiety and thoughts that you don't want to have or that you shouldn't be having or like these things are constantly in your head and it, and it results in negativity and a lot of it's from your phone like i realize that too a lot of this is is technology based and sitting in front of a computer all day for class and then once you're done with class you know, you'll be outside for an hour maybe for football or, but then after exercise or something, but after that, you're pretty much just back on your computer doing homework or playing games or being on your phone or, and that's like a normal life is you're living on like this thing, you know, that's, that's it. And even like when you sleep, this thing's like five feet away from you. It's not healthy. And anxiety is a, is a condition that we've been, that we've been fighting for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you know? So it's kept us alive. You know, it, it makes us realize when there's danger nearby and like, we're trying to basically take away these anxious thoughts and like our natural urges to be outside and to be in the sun for just like these dopamine hits or serotonin hits, you know, and like 
people are normally happier when they, people were happier, right? When they were around their families or when, you know, they're doing something difficult and then they succeed or, I don't know, learning experiences. So, and you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you're not depressed, right? You're always excited to be doing stuff. It's because you're outside with your friends a lot. Whereas now it's like you're on your computer, you're on your phone and you're not as happy because you're not with people. It's, it's not a connection. It's you're fighting these, these primal urges to be around other people and these tribalist ideas. So. Yeah. Um, it's a lot there too. Uh, I'm very social. I mean, you know, this I'm very, oh. I love people. That's part of the reason. Um, well, what you said earlier about starting a, I mean, not, um, doing your adventures with Mitch thing. Um, that's kind of what I do with this podcast is I, I've been trying to f- fill my time with something. And so this is it. But meditation, I used to meditate. Oh, yeah. Still kind of do. I did a lot freshman year when I was uh, first got up there. Because, um, like, I mean, you know me. Like, I literally don't stop talking. You, don't, you know, like, that's just me. That happens in my head if I don't say things. So that's, like, going on up here if I'm not saying things. Like, my mind's just yeah. constantly – constantly fucking running and it happens horribly at night like sometimes i'll just be eating i'm like just shut up like just shut up like my mind is just going like just fast i'm 100 miles an hour yeah and so i do if i just sit down and just breathe for a second um, it helps i also take these cbd capsules every day that helps a lot um shout out cbd man honestly cbd gets a bad rap because it's tied in with hemp and marijuana but non-psychoactive marijuana is great yeah. i'm putting the plug in it's great for anxiety. See, yeah, you heard the you've heard the story, right? Of like why we don't yes. use hemp and everything. Though I wrote I wrote a paper for Snell on that actually. Interesting stuff, man. Um, William Henry Hurst, I think, is what who was what is his yeah, name? Hurst. Yeah, he's got a castle in California. That's pretty famous. Um, paper. It's because paper. paper wood paper is cheaper than hemp paper, but hemp paper lasts longer, way longer, and it's way more durable. Yeah. And, and he was also racist too. So. Yeah, he's very racist. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but like, I think meditation is cool. Another thing that helped me was, um, it was like after Kobe died, I was reading and listening to a lot of things that he used to say. And like, he used to meditate a lot, like in his own way, I guess. I mean, he used to just sit there and like stare at something or like think about something for a really long time. And like, I can just see Kobe like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, like he's an intense dude. He was an intense. Dude, he's he's super intense. Yeah, keep going. Though. Yeah, he he thought meditation was like the key to figuring all these things out because it, I mean your mind is really in everything, right? And I, with me, my mind like I think my mind works pretty fast, but I'm not good at expressing my thought. Like I'm not good at talking. I I'm, I stumble a lot. I think you've noticed that, obviously. Like I do, but <laughs> like I I feel like I stumble a lot, and there's a lot of things that I want to say, but then once I say them, like. I guess I don't articulate them as well as I feel like I should. So, and I've noticed with meditation, like my mind has slowed down at least a little bit, not, not to the point where I can actually, you know, like while I'm thinking, like I can say what I'm thinking, but I think that's why I've always liked writing more is because I can stop and slow down and reevaluate my thoughts and stuff. Whereas talking, I have to instantly, you know, have these things out. So it's good in that way too. And sports performance, it's amazing. A lot of athletes use it. I mean, Kobe obviously did. And uh, there's a lot of like sports psychologists that Mm -hmm. have started to use it. I mean, you think of like, you play basketball. You you, could you imagine like, like when you're about to shoot a free throw and you can't focus on the rim or something and how frustrating that would be. Like if you weren't able, like if you were seeing all the background and listening to all the background noise when you're like on an away game, 
It's like in 2K when their person's like slamming the RTL or whatever the, the those two buttons on the yeah. screen are taking. That would be like what your mindset would be like. So good stuff. What do you think happens when you go through a black hole? <laughs> Dude, I have no clue, man. I wish. It just came to my head. I don't know why, but that's what I'm thinking. I watched I watched Interstellar and that's like what do you think happens is like a time warp thing? Oh my god, dude, that would be crazy. I like I think I've always thought of like wormholes as being like a legitimate thing. Like trap being able to trap like what's the idea of you know like what a wormhole when uh yeah. This is the example like, I always hear. I think this is the example they gave in that movie too, but like if you want to travel to yeah, point A like point A to point B guess and then like they go like this and then the wormhole is like like the break in the paper so you can get through or whatever so you can get from point a to point b like that because space is just not like a flat plane you know what I mean? space is a crazy dimensional thing and i always thought that was like what would happen and that was like always what my dream was that we would find these wormholes that could go to or that black holes would be like wormholes to get to get to different parts of space and stuff but I'm not really a science guy, but I, I've always dreamed that would be super cool. And I love space and I've always loved like thinking about space and exploring it. And that'd be cool. What if, what if you get stretched? Cause that's like something they say is like you get stretched like infinitely. Mm-hmm. So what if that happens in your body and you just die obviously and your body disintegrates, but your energy gets like sent through the wormhole somewhere else. So like, but you're like not in space or time. You're that, like, like- that's like a really spiritual question. You're like, because like, think about it. Like if you die and you do believe in energy, then where does your energy go through the wormhole? You would have to go through the wormhole. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would like, I don't know, that kind of like breaks my thought process, you know, like, doesn't it? I, I really thought like, I, I guess I kind of struggle with the thought of like, when we die, we die, you know, like there's nothing, not that there's like an afterlife or anything, but that three times, this is the third time that I've gotten into this conversation on the podcast. <laughs> Continue. Let's go. You were the one who brought up wormholes. We're talking I, about keep talking. I want to hear what you think. Um, yeah, it would be like the, the thought of like, I don't know of like life, not like life after death. I, Cause I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I think reincarnation could happen, I guess. I mean, obviously I'm never going to know, but I, I guess I believe now more in spiritualist ideas of like when we die that like our spirit, I guess just kind of like becomes not like one with the earth. Uh, I'm not like, I'm not like a hippie or anything, but like that there's not, it's not just like everything is over when you die. Like your consciousness is going to end, but like you are still part of like the natural cycle of life, I suppose. Yeah. There's a, there's a saying, um, oh, my mic was shaking. I hit it on accident. Um, there's like a saying, I, um, it's a philosophical saying, but it's that, um, it's about immortality. And it says that, uh, what the immoral, the immortal part of life is life itself. Life goes on living after death and like, you know what I mean? Like life itself, people will continue to live. I had this thought the other day, um, that, when the, the person who is like right now is like a child, when, the, when a child right now becomes the oldest person alive, uh, no one else will be alive with them. They'll be an uh, entirely set of, or like right now, the oldest person living right now 
when she was born, the w- world was entirely different people. Yep. But like everyone's still continuing to, to coexist. And so that's why like the, philo- the philosophical part of me makes me think of like communities and society has a soul of its own. Like there is a, con- there is a collective soul of the city and, mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, in an instance, I guess, and that, that what the end goal of politics and everything is to keep that soul healthy, you know? And it's very easy for that collective soul of the city or the state to become very pathological. So the goal of politics and government is to keep the soul of the city healthy. That was beautiful. See, that's, that's a lot more in line with like my idea of politics is that like, the betterment of a community is should be the first priority. That's so. I think you and I, uh, we've grown more and more similar in our in our ideas. College does that to you. I'm also an idiot, so I don't know anything. But you, you know, were, you were very far from an idiot, my friend. Um, I know, but that's kind of you are way smarter than I am politically. But you just don't show it. I okay. Here's the thing. I read a lot and I think a lot, and I and I've been doing this podcast now, and I learn from people, but. I realize that I'm never, I don't know substantive, like I don't know the majority of information that exists, you know? And so like intelligence is very, like I'm smart. I would say if I took an IQ test, I'd be up there, but like, I don't like my educate, like it's really hard for anyone, let alone me to be like, to just swallow information like a phone, you know? And I was talking to Bobby about this, like one day when that Neuralink wakes up, you know, what's going to happen then? Because I was saying my whole problem with it is like, if you have dimension, you're withering away and then the Neuralink fixes it. Is that you? Because it's you and part computer. So is that you or is that you and part computer? You know what I mean? Is it half you, half computer? Because it does it regenerate what you already had or does it just... First, you have to decide what is you. I mean, is it your like? Is it your brain? Is it just the electrical impulses and the chemicals and stuff in your brain? I mean, I think like for me, I don't feel like I'm just electrical impulses and like joints and bones and meat and all this stuff. Like, I feel like I'm a lot more than that. And I think when I talk to people, everybody is a lot more than that. I don't just see them as like this bag of meat that can you know communicate with me like. Like that's, and that's what I think of as like a, as a spirit, you know, and people change, you know, I don't think this, I mean, the brain is a computer, right? I don't think adding that Neuralink thing would change you to be a completely different person. You know, I mean, being an individual and being a person is like, part of it is changing and part of it is growth. And I, and if we put, if we put something in our, in our knee, you know, if we put like a, a, a metal joint or something in our knee to help it move more, does that doesn't change you, but your brain is just as much of a part of your body as, as your knee is. In my opinion, I, I think there's more to it. Than, I think there's a way more to it than just your brain telling your body to move. I think there's the a problem spirit. with it is, yeah, there's the problem with it is what like, we, we connect the br- we have this weird humans have this weird phenomenon that we all share about like the brain like it's different than every other organ we don't do brain transplants if you're a brain surgeon you get paid millions upon millions of dollars brain tumors it's like oh fuck you know we have this weird because brain it's like a little computer in your head and it's like yes. and we 
have well, no the, fucking the idea what protects, the body protects that more than yeah. anything. Well, the skull is like, yeah, you know, that's the, that's the thing you're protecting the most. You can lose your legs and your arms, but yeah. you can still function with the brain. I yeah. get that. Yeah. But the problem with it is, is that it's cause we don't know what the fuck consciousness is. We don't know why mushrooms make you fucking think a certain way or alcohol makes you st- we don't know why that happens like we know why it happens but we don't know why it affects you you know as a conscious being and so we, we kind of just say yeah consciousness is in the brain probably so we like that's like what we attribute it to so when we get in those brain areas we start getting a little iffy you know and you're like well i don't know because it's like the brain is it, the brain severely affects you as a conscious being clearly but i don't know if it if it, because i again i'm going to say this again the third time sorry podcast listeners i this is me trying to figure out this answer i was thinking like brain as a being i'm not brain but like bodies radio waves your consciousness is the radio waves beaming into your brain you know through the wiring or does your consciousness exist in your brain so does the brain getting injured affect the radio waves or does it affect your consciousness as a, all right, I'm speaking way too metaphysical. Let me explain what I'm saying. If, if your consciousness is the radio waves and doesn't exist in the brain, is the brain getting messed up affecting the, the connection between your consciousness and, the, and, and humanity? Or is, it, is the brain, is consciousness inside the brain? So affecting the brain is inherently affecting consciousness. That was trippy. You have now entered the Colin Weir's podcast that we like to call the philosophical segment this is the what the fuck right now dude you're telling me this because this is what i've learned with these type of podcasts and my brain just jump in places and i ask questions like that is we every single time at this sec section we enter into a place that where we don't know what exists where it exists why it exists and i call it the philosophical segment and if you if you stay long enough to listen to it you hear like the stages of the podcast oh yeah they always break down like this but in a beautiful way beautiful way no um keep going i that's that's way above my head i've always just kind of accepted consciousness as like you know it's us, like, it's us. I'm not going to be able to explain it. You're not going to be able to explain it. But, like, shit, man, like, it's something, and it's pretty cool. So, like, that's how I'm trying to live with it. And uh, I don't know, like, there's something, like, it. maybe it's, like, my fear of death, I guess. This, I mean, I guess this kind of goes back to, like, why I started, like, with the Instagram page. I know it sounds stupid, but, like, that's it's, like, my own way of, like, trying to tell myself, like, oh, yeah, I need to do things before I die. Because, like, when I'm, when I'm done, like, I don't know if anything's going to happen after, but like the only thing that I know for a fact right now is that like when I, when I'm old and like when I eventually die, I'm pro I might have regrets and I don't want those things. So I'd much rather live my life as full as I possibly can than to try to just get through it, I guess. And <clears throat> is, is, if that has to do with consciousness, if that has to do with just a fear of death, if that has to do with whatever, yeah, I guess then call it whatever it is. But I think the most important thing that anybody like any human has is like our death. Like that's the most important thing we're going to do in our lives is die. And I know it sounds kind of crazy, but like that's like a philosophy that I've kind of uh, acquired over 
these few years is our fear of death is what drives us to go do things. Our fear of other people dying is what drives us to protect them. And if none of that was a reality, then we wouldn't have anything to live for. You know, like you can't, you can't live without dying. You can't be happy without being sad. It's all, it's all connected. And they're just two sides of the same coin, I suppose. So. Beautiful. Mitchell Ulrich, thank you. This was a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that you, you finally came. And I'm definitely going to have to get you on again because I love yeah, talking man. to you. And by the time we talk next, we'll probably have different things to debate. So oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. you say I'll be a lot less nervous, dude. I was pretty nervous because, you know, you're an intimidating guy, Colin. No, I'm not. No, you're a beautiful man. That was, that was great. Thank you. Yeah. The manners. Episode 25 under your belt. How was it? How did I do? Did you have fun? I hope you did. I hope you made it through the whole thing. If you did, you know the drill. Like, share, download. We are on all streaming services. Thank the Lord for that one. Love you guys. Peace. Stay up.